Good evening. I'm October Weeks, paranormal horror dark fantasy author. I also write paranormal romance under the name Libby Bishop. Welcome to Haunted October's Paranormal Podcast. Grab your favorite drink, cozy up around the campfire, and enjoy the show. Tonight we're going to be talking about ghost stories. I think every state in the U.S. has shared ghost stories. So the hitchhiker, you know, the girl in the prom dress who disappears, um... When you pass the cemetery, bloody, you know, the urban myth of Bloody Mary, things like that. I think each state has their own version of that, but I think each state has known hauntings that they're, you know, they're famous for, which, you know, you got the Winchester House and the Whaley House in California, and you have the, you know, the entire town of St. Augustine, Florida, basically, but especially the old jail and the lighthouse. You know, you've got, you know, Salem, Massachusetts is known to be very haunted. And I have experienced myself that for myself, as I've said in another podcast. But since I live in Vermont, I and grew up in Vermont, I'm going to share with you a few of our most famous ghost stories, starting with Emily's Bridge. So Emily's Bridge is actually the Gold Book Bridge. It's a covered bridge and it's in Stowe, Vermont. And the legends vary, but the basic story is that a young woman named Emily went to the bridge to meet with her lover to run away and get married, but he jilted her. And so the two most popular um, stories are that she either jumped from the bridge and drowned in the brook below, or that she hung herself from the rafters. Either way, she died on the bridge. And she's pretty pissed off because she got jilted, as I'm sure any woman or man would be. So there is some bizarre occurrences that happen around the bridge. Um, Some people get scratch marks on their cars. Some people are scratched and or grabbed. Um, People hear footsteps or the sound of a rope. Um, They hear screaming, Um, but you know and a lot of it of course is aimed at men because she was jilted by her lover the man she loved who she was supposed to run away and marry um so the men get the most the brunt of her activity um nobody knows who emily actually is so we don't even know you know if that's really her name but they, they call her Emily. Um, so instead of it being known as the Goldbrook Bridge, most people call it um, Emily's Bridge. I personally have actually never been to the, like, been to the bridge. I've gone past it. I've driven past it, but I've never stopped and tried to get feel for it. You know, if there's any ghosts around or, you know, I never, I've never even thought about doing an investigation myself there. Although other paranormal teams have, and they have caught some evident, um, they have caught some supernatural activity. Maybe one day I'll get up there, but I have not yet managed to do so. It's really not that far from where I live right now either. So I really have no excuse for not getting up there. Um, the next thing we're going to talk about is the Hayden family. Now, Hayden, William Hayden's mother-in-law is, was Mercy Dale. And um, she is said to have cursed the Hayden family because they lived a very lavish lifestyle and they owned um, a lot of land and such a large house that William could not afford to keep up 
with everything. You know, he couldn't afford to keep everything that they had um, gotten to keep up that lifestyle. So he borrowed money from his uh, Mercy, who was wealthy herself, and uh, he asked, he continually asked over the years for more money, but he refused to pay her back, which, in Mercy's defense, would have pissed me off, too. <laughs> um, but things got worse because when Mercy got sick and um, she thought that Hayden was poisoning her, so on her deathbed, she cursed the entire Hayden family and um, said that they, that the Hayden line would die in, um, I believe it was the third generation, and the last to have that name would live, you know, would live in poverty. And, which is a heavy friggin' curse, considering, you know, it was William who really was the one who refused to pay her back. So, <laughs> and that curse did come true. Um, and you can read about it. There's a lot of articles about it. Um, the last of the family uh, did die in poverty in 1927, and ever since then, uh, the house is said to have been haunted by misfortunes like um, uh, fire and, uh, like, not just fire, like, these fires just, like, spontaneously happen. Uh, there's no source for them. And um, so you can read up. Uh, there was one, um, Joe Citro has uh, a book called Vermont Monsters and Myths, and you should check that out because it lists a lot of what I'm going to talk about today. But um, so that is the tale of Mercy <laughs> and the poor Hayden family, which really, he kind of deserved it. <laughs> Let's face it, he kind of deserved that. Um, and although it's not a ghost, we do have a lake monster. We have Champ, which I do honestly believe in because we don't know. There's a lot of Champlain, Lake Champlain, um, that has not been, um, I don't want to say discovered because they have uh, used radar to map it. And there are over 300 shipwrecks in Lake Champlain. Um, but it is deep enough and there is plenty of food and it's connected to the St. Lawrence Lawrence Seaway. There is plenty of food on like Nessie in Scotland and I'm not saying Nessie doesn't exist but there is a lot more food and everything so if there is a champ um, and I do believe there is a champ um, he's been known to be around for hundreds of years um, there are legends from the Iroquois and the Abenaki tribes about champ our lovely lake monster um, I suggest reading up on him too because he's pretty cool <laughs> um, so the next one is the Green Mountain Inn the Green Mountain Inn is also in Stowe <laughs> um, Boots Berry he um, his family worked at the inn his mother was a housekeeper his father took care of the horses he himself um, became he himself took over from his father and cared for the horses and he was a local hero of sorts um, after saving a stage coast um, stage coast passengers <laughs> God that's a mouthful uh, from an accident but he so because of that 
Um, and years later, unfortunately, he um, developed a bit of a drinking problem, which led to him being fired. And he traveled the country, um, getting into country, and he learned to tap dance from prisoners in down in New Orleans, which eventually led to his nickname, Boots. And he did come back to Stowe and the inn, and one night in the winter, um, a little girl got stuck on the roof uh, during a storm, and he climbed up to save her using um, passway, passageways and um, from that he remembered from childhood, and he managed to get her down, but the weather was so bad that he ended up slipping, and he died. And to this day, they say you can hear him tap dancing inside the inn um, and on the roof. Again, that's another place that I have not gone to spend the night in to see if I can hear him tap dancing, although I think that would be cool too. <laughs> the next um, tale I'm gonna tell you from Vermont is the case of Dr. Timothy Clark Smith. So way back in the days, um, being buried alive was something that did happen and it was a le legitimate fear to have because it did happen um, often, <laughs> probably a little more often than we know about. Um, so because people you know, are pronounced dead when they're not actually dead because we didn't have the abilities that we have now. So the good doctor, <laughs> had the, this legitimate fear and he had it so bad though like it was so such a concern for him that he built a tomb that had a tube attached to a window um on top of his gravestone you know so it's a flat stone with a window in it <laughs> so he could see out of his grave and so he could get a little bit of air if he was uh, buried alive and he is buried in evergreen cemetery with a chisel a bell and and tools just in case he was actually buried alive and some say that um before it was possible for like the condensation you know um to be able to see through the glass you could hear the hammer and the chisel of him you know which would be him uh, trying to get out of the grave if he was buried alive because the fear was that bad. Um, and it is sitting next to his court. Those, those are still in there. Um, the next case that I'm going to tell you about is um, Black Agnes. Black Agnes is a copper statue of a man with his eyes closed, and he's sitting and wearing a shawl. Um, this statue is in Green Mountain Cemetery, which is in Montpelier, the capital. Um, it was commissioned by a businessman named John Hubbard. Um, it was to watch over his grave, and it's called, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, <laughs> so forgive me, Thanatos, which is um, Greek for death. If you sit on this statue's lap, the legend has it that you will be met with terrible misfortune. And uh, with that myth is also that um, you die within seven days. And there are reports of screams, of glowing red eyes, and strange noises have happened around this statue. Um, I have been there. I have not sat 
in that statue's lap. I am not courting that kind of crap because knowing my luck and knowing my senses, uh, my sensitivity to these things, it would happen. And I don't want to play that game. So, <laughs> um, if you're really brave, you could go check that out in Green Mountain Cemetery. But personally, I wouldn't um, give that one a go. <laughs> Another uh, interesting curse um, that I'm going to tell you about is um, the Curse of Brunswick Springs. Now, it at Ripley's Believe It or Not has called Brunswick Springs um, the eighth wonder of the world. It's been known to be, it's sacred to the Abenaki Indo Indians to this day as a natural healing place. Um, and, <clears throat> but it has been known to be cursed and wondrous at the same time. So this legend starts around 1748 when the Abenaki um, brought a wounded soldier, a wounded French soldier to the spring and placed him in the water and it's the water seemed to cure um, his wounds and so he attempted the soldier was so amazed by this that he tried to bottle up the spring water and sell it and the Abenaki were horrified by this that the thought of using such a healing sacred place and making a profit out of it and there was a violent um, conflict which ended in the death of a Abenaki man and child and the mother who was was obviously racked with grief is the one who cursed the springs and that the curse is whoever tries to profit off of those springs um, will every it would fail whatever they tried to do to profit on it they would fail and so in the 1800s that legend of the healing springs which led to ripley believe it or ripley's believe it or not to call it the eighth wonder of the world um that legend began to spread and um, a hotel was built called the brunswick spring house and it was built in the spring of 1860 and it um piped the waters straight to each guest room and it was successful for several years, but it eventually burned to the ground. <laughs> and that's not the only fire. So in the early 1900s, the Pine Crest Lodge Hotel was put um, almost in the exact same place as the Spring House. And that burned in 1929. And over the next two years, John Hutchins, who had built the Pine Crest Lodge, um, rebuilt it twice and um, each building burned within a year. So, <laughs> and then there were a series of suicides and accidents that also occurred around the spring, the actual springs. So that curse is um, still holding on pretty tightly, I'd say. A few other places that are known to be haunted in Vermont is Southern Vermont College, which is in Bennington. There are <laughs> so many ghost stories that come out of there, um, which include uh, haunting by people, one in a black hooded cloak. There has been smoke filling the hallways, doors and windows, locking and unlocking by themselves, footsteps. The most haunted, or what's known to be the most haunted uh, part of the school is the third 
floor of the mansion um, and the former sleeping quarters for where the staff used to live. And it's, um, it's known that there, a maid had hung herself there. And there are a few other colleges that are haunted <laughs> in Vermont. Um, Champlain College in Burlington is known to be haunted. St. Michael's College in Colchester is also known to be haunted. There in St. Michael's, um, there's a friendly nun who assists doctors in the theater. There's an evil presence um, that's said to have begun after an occult incident. incident. Um, there is also a reportedly a pentagram that reappears despite attempts to cover it up with wood. <laughs> so St. Michael's College has a few things going on for it. Um, Johnson Elementary School in Johnson, Vermont. Um, and then there are, of course, some hotels, the Equinox Hotel in Manchester. Um, we've already talked about the Green Mountain Inn. Norwich University in Northfield is known to be haunted and um, the Brattleboro Retreat Tower. So, the, the so, okay, <laughs> let's start from the beginning from this one. So the Vermont Asylum for the Insane was built in 1834 um, from a $10,000 gift that was willed for that purpose. It was renamed the Brattleboro Retreat in the late 19th century in order to, um, stop confusion with the state Vermont State Asylum for the Insane. The most famous, or may, I should probably say, the most notorious building um, on the grounds was the Retreat Tower. So, and that is where a lot of the hauntings take place. The tower itself was built by the patients in 1887. And at the time, doctors believed that the physical labor could help with, uh, could help the patients keep their sanity. And the tower overlooks the entire um, asylum grounds. And that tower is very much still there. I've passed by it several times. <laughs> um, but the patients didn't see it that way. Um, a lot of them climbed to the top of the tower and they um, jumped off and committed suicide. The number of suicides is not known. It's kept very um, secret and it remains so to this day. There are a lot of reports of a ghostly figure jumping from the tower, but the figure always disappears before it actually hits the ground. Um, there's a very eerie feeling around the cemetery um, there are still tombstones there. They're in poor condition, um, but they date back as far as the 1800s. And, and a lot of those graves are marked unknown. And there is a registry of deaths that occurred at the retreat, but there are far more names on that list than there are graves. The retreat um, is still there. It is still in use um, for mental health patients. The next thing I'm going to tell you about is not really, okay, it's a mystery. <laughs> and so this is the mystery of Glastonbury Mountain. Now, the folklore around the mountain is that the Native Americans believed it to be cursed and used it as a burial ground. Um, all the trails abruptly start partway up the mountain, and it kind of 
as a way almost of trying to get hikers from going up any further. And the mountain is said to be eerily silent, um, as if birds and animals don't even venture there. Complete silence in the woods in Vermont is extremely unusual. The woods don't just go quiet by themselves. Something isn't right and it's probably paranormal and my advice to you if you ever encounter that is to stop and turn your ass around because <laughs> you're probably not gonna like what's making the woods of vermont quiet so known disappearances there have been about 30 to 40 ish um unexpl unexplained disappearances of people um, who have never to this day been found. And as I said, the trails stop uh, partway up the mountain and they and um, the woods are go quiet. There's no birds singing. There's no squirrels. There's no crows crying. There's no nothing. Um, the only thing pretty much that you'd be able to hear is your own heartbeat. And, um, <laughs> and as I said, the woods don't go quiet for no reason. So if the animals are shutting up, please do take that as a warning one of the disappearances on the mountain was someone named Mitty Rivers uh, he was a lifelong resident um, of the area and he was very experienced um, hunting and fishing guide and he used to uh, take groups of hunters uh, onto the mountain and one um, in early November and I want to say it was 1945 he led a group of hunters up the mountain and the weather was very mild uh, which is kind of unusual for November but it has happened <laughs> although normally there is a little bit of snow on the ground and the and the weather tends to be cooler but um, anyway he was about 74 years old and he was in great health um, and that can be confirmed because he had a recent fig uh, recent physical before he had gone up the mountain um, so he split off Rivers uh, split off from the group in an area known as Bickford Hollow after lunch. And he was never seen again. There was a massive search for him. And the only clue was a lone unexpended <laughs> bullet. Um, and that was believed to be, to be from his belt. Um, and that was laying by a nearby creek about a month after that hunt um the snow started to fall and that following december a college student who was 18 and she had come from connecticut she decided to go up the mountain um, on the long trail and she ha she had been wearing uh a red jacket which was very bright uh, she was known to be uh, very spunky um, so she was a very um, outgoing person is what I'm trying to get out <laughs> um, a resident a local resident had given her a ride as far as his home and then later in the afternoon she had asked directions from somebody at the newspaper um, and other hikers had said that they saw her on the trail um, going up on the trail and that following Monday she had not uh, returned to school and um, the governor Ernest Gibson 
tried to um, find her, but as soon, um, but the F and the FBI came along with the New York and Connecticut State Police, joined by, of course, the Vermont authorities, and there was a five thousand dollar reward poster, a clairvoyant, like an actual clairvoyant, was brought into the case. That is, that is the ex, that is how far they went to try and find her and they um and that does include also uh bloodhounds and helicopters um uh they did um plane you know other planes were crisscrossing overhead every inch of this friggin mountain was searched for her and there was no body and no clue about what uh happened to her three years later in also in december james tepfer um hopefully i pronounced that right vanished somewhere on the mountain uh he was on holiday in vermont with relatives and his family had put him on a bus to return to um bennington and the bus only made one stop and that is where it was noted that that was the last place someone had seen him and the only thing standing between him and home was Glastonbury Mountain and by the time they reached Bennington by the time that bus reached Bennington uh that young man was gone that man was gone um he was never found either uh 10 months later after that I should say 10 months after that <laughs> um the mountain uh claimed a child an eight-year-old boy um his mother had left their truck for just a moment um because she had to go to the town dump which was right near the mountain and she only left for a few moments and when she came back to the truck the boy was gone his name was paul um and it was a clear afternoon and it was near Columbus Day and they searched again. Um, he had a very bright jacket on and they could, the military even um, came in and no one could find him anywhere. And a team of dogs uh, from New Hampshire had come in and they could not, they lost his scent as well. Um, there are more a lot more people who have disappeared in the Bennington Triangle and honestly in my opinion so in my opinion I really think that 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 the Bennington Triangle is more like a gateway where whatever's on the other side can come through and then go back but whoever on our side passes through that gateway they cannot return and whether that's to another plane whether that's to uh, a parallel universe whether you know whatever is on the other side of that gateway whoever goes in from our side cannot return and only one body only one body of the missing has ever been found and the cause of death is still unknown and again just like with black agnes I refuse <laughs> to go anywhere near that area of that mountain. Um, when the woods are telling you that something's wrong, 
you should listen to it, as I've said. And I am a firm believer in listening to nature and what's around you and growing, having grown up here in Vermont, <laughs> as I've said, I am not tempting that fate. I will listen when Mother Nature says, honey, turn the fuck around. <laughs> you can't be here. It's not safe. So before I end the podcast, I want to read you guys some interesting grave, um, not grave markers. I want, <laughs> I want to read you guys some inscriptions on graves in Vermont that are very, <laughs> they're interesting to say the least. Um, there's one in, um, from 1826 from a man who uh, died at the age of 83. His name was Ebenezer Scott. He was of Vernon, Vermont. Um, his grave <laughs> inscription says, the first white male born in Bernardston, Massachusetts, was taken with his mother and two brothers by the Indians, carried to Quebec, sold to the French when he was eight years old, returned to his father, served in the revolution, drew a pension. <laughs> And that literally the whole thing is is on his uh, tombstone there. So the first time I read that gravestone inscription was from Joseph Citro's book, Green Mountain, Ghost Schools, and Unsolved Mysteries. And the funniest, I've got to say, to this day, and I've looked at a lot of gravestones because I kind of actually like walking around um, older cemeteries because old-time Vermonters had... <laughs> an interesting sense of humor to put it mildly um but one of the funniest and it's probably actually one of my fa most favorite ever that i have found was also in citro's book and it's on a uh, grave with no name on it the gravestone has no name on it all it says is i was somebody who is no business of yours <laughs> And I don't know why, but that is the best fucking uh, inscription, I think, ever. I really want to know who that uh, person was, because that's awesome. I'm sorry, but that is. That is just awesome. Um, there's another one from that book uh, that I want to mention, and I'm really trying to look it up because, at this moment online, because um, it's too funny and I don't want to get it wrong, so give me one second. Um, but that is funny, that one that says, I was somebody who is no business of yours. <laughs> I know so many freaking Vermonters who would put that on their stone. I really do. I know so many of them. Um, oh, here it is. So, Eustace Page, uh, um, she died in 1888 at the age of 73. This is on her stone. Five times five years I lived a virgin's life. Nine times five years, I lived a virtuous wife. Wearied of this mortal life, I rest. Now, do that math for a minute in your head. Five times five years, I lived a virgin's life. Nine times five years, I lived a virtuous wife. So she's got uh, three years unaccounted for. <laughs> And it really does make me wonder what the hell she was up to in those three years uh, since she so adequately described uh, the rest of her days on that stone. <laughs> I really do want to know what she was doing. Um, 
so then there is another one in um okay so old time vermonters are very um there's they're just a special breed of their own we'll just put it that way and i love to hear old time vermonters give directions to flatlanders um flatlanders are people who are not from vermont <laughs> um so and mainly in the like massachusetts and connecticut calls us woodchucks because we call them flatlanders <laughs> anywho so old-time vermonters um when they give directions especially to the younger people um from out of state it's funny <laughs> because they go by landmarks you know you go down the dirt road about four or so miles until you see a red barn then you want to take a left at the red barn but don't go past the white house because then you've gone too far you have <laughs> And then you, down that road, once you've turned, you got to look for a tree. It's got a huge knot in it. And you can just see the look on these people's faces. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Can't you just GPS me? And no. Oh, God. Don't ever use your GPS in Vermont if you're going off the highway. Because you will get lost. And it will take you down road, logging roads that your car will never make it. Um... But back to gravestones. <laughs> so there is a lot, <laughs> you know, of graveyard humor um, that you'll find in old Vermont cemeteries. Um, there's a grave that says, your days too are numbered. Um, there's another one. <laughs> and I think you guys will love this one too. It says, under the sod and under the trees lies the body of Solomon Pease. He is not here, there's only pod. He shelled out and went to God. <laughs> he is he was buried in um, Barry, Vermont. Um, there is another one where. So you know how some people, when they think about death, you know it's a final thing, uh, but uh, you know there's no getting around it. We're all gonna die. So there's a grave that said, and I'm looking this up by the way. <laughs> because I don't want to mess any of them up and um, I don't have my list right in front of me so I'm looking it up there's one um, from 1836 that says she lived what more can then be said she died and all we know is that she's dead finality people finality uh, there's another one that says I lived on earth I died on earth in earth I am interred all that have life are sure of death the rest may be inferred. Um, let me see if I can't find some other ones that are fun. I wish I had my Joe Citro book in front of me because he has a lot of good ones that I think you guys would really love. Um, uh, let's see here. Actually, let me go fetch it. Give me one moment and I'll go fetch that book because it's in my, it's in my uh, library somewhere. So here, have some intermission music. Okay, so <laughs> thank you for holding. Here is um, one because I didn't want to screw it up. So, um, so I grabbed his book <laughs> and here it is. So this is for a, um, a man from Enosburg Falls. He outlived four wives. 
It says, Stranger, pause and drop a tear. For Emily Church lies buried here, mixed in some perplexing manner with Mary, Martha, and probably Hannah. <laughs> that is just... I can't even with that one. That's, that's pretty much on par with the one that I want to really know what happened to in those three years um, that not, aren't accounted for um, from Eunice in 1988. So those are some of Vermont's ghost stories and some of our myths and legends. Um, there are, there actually is in Lake Memphremagog, way up top by the Canadian border. Um, there's a lake monster that's said to be there. We have some, a legend of a pig man, we have a legend of a bear called Slippery Skin. Um, there are just so many things. Um, and if you go, and I do suggest looking it up, if that kind of thing interests you, Vermont has a ton of these stories. That would take me a couple of hours to get through the best of them, but these are some of my favorites. So I hope you have enjoyed uh, some of the tales from Vermont. Oh, you know what? We also have uh, vampires in Vermont, the Woodstock vampire. Um, I'll have to get back to <laughs> I'll have to get back to that one in another podcast. So if you guys have any questions or you want to ask me anything or have my opinion on anything about what we talked about tonight, please do leave me a comment um, on my Podbean page and I will get to it in another podcast. And until the next podcast, thank you so so much for joining me and have a great evening. <laughs>